Hey guys, just a quick note before we jump into this week's episode of InStride. InStride is brought to you by RideIQ. RideIQ is a mobile app with hundreds of on-demand listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by eventing, jumper, and dressage coaches. In other words, with RideIQ, you can take a lesson from an incredible coach during any ride you'd like. No hauling and no scheduling. Whether you're looking to add structure to your rides or try new exercises or build confidence, RideIQ can help. Membership is only $29.99 per month, and every membership automatically includes a two-week free trial. Try it for yourself today by downloading the RideIQ mobile app on iPhone or Android. On today's episode of In Stride, Sinead is talking to William Fox Pitt, one of the best event riders in history. William's parents were both successful event riders themselves. His father, Oliver, competed at the top level and his mother, Marietta Speed, rode at the 1967 European Championships. William won medals in both the Junior and Young Rider European Championships, and his big break at the senior level came in 1994 when he won Burley Horse Trials. While not comprehensive, some of William's accomplishments include being the first rider to win five different five-star events, winning Burley a record six times on six different horses, riding in the Olympics five times on the British team and earning three team Olympic medals, ending the year as the world's top rider on four separate occasions, and being the British number one event rider 11 times. A serious fall in 2015 left William in a coma for two weeks, but he came back to ride on the British eventing team at the 2016 Summer Olympics. William is married to television horse racing presenter Alex Plunkett, and together they have four children and run Fox Pit Eventing in Dorset. Today, Sinead and William talk about how to bring out the best in yourself and your horses. We hope you enjoy this episode. Everyone, I am so excited to have our guest here, the one and only William Fox Pit. William, thank you so much for joining us. How are you? Oh, thanks very much, Sinead. It's great to be here. Obviously, things are quite quiet here in the UK in, in November, and I'm quite enjoying, even though it's December, quite enjoying <laughs> the, the downtime and all about to ramp up. Five Star Horses are coming in, and we're about to get a bit busier. So, yeah, the holiday's over. Yeah, what does your downtime look like? What do you what do, you do when, it, when the season calms down? And when does that start? Kind of October, November? Yeah, it does vary. Depends on what has happened that season. I think very often for me, it would quieten down after Poe, so end of October. Uh, so I always look forward to November and that's a great time trying to do some business, actually trying to earn some money. It's great to, yeah, go hunting, ride the young ones, breaking in a three-year-old. So just, just doing other stuff is, right. is what November is about. And in the old days, it would have been a good time for Looking at horses, I'm trying to convince myself now not to look at any more horses because that's not the point when you're 53. And yeah, then we all ramp up in December and uh, Bampton horses come back in then and the Kentucky horse will come in then and we'll soon be hacking around those ro roads, getting very sore bums and jolly cold feet. Uh, I, can, my, I think my feet are still frozen from... From being so fortunate to have spent time at your place, but but uh, <laughs> January is not an off time there. Everything is back walking on the roads for a month, and I have never been so cold in my entire life. But or scared, really, because a lot of them are pretty wild. Yeah, exactly. I think if you survive, I always say if you survive the winter, the season is a piece of cake. 
Yeah. So can you can you talk about that? Because I think when I was there, and I won't say how many years ago that was, it was not done. There were there were several times where you were saying, "Ah, I'm going to retire. I'm retiring. I'm not doing this. And then you do that for a few months. Then you're like, I'm not I'm coming back, but I'm going to retire after this Olympics. And here we are. And you're thinking I'm wrapping, ramping up my my Kentucky horses, my badminton horses, and I'm breaking in a three year old. So where are we at? That's a jolly good question. Well, I think I do ask myself that regularly. I think that the problem is I'm I'm still okay. I'm still able to do it. My body's still working. So I've got no physical excuses not to give up. I've often been told, oh, just remember you're a long time retired. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe I should keep in the go a little bit longer. I've also got some quite nice horses that I'm not ready to watch anybody else ride yet. Yeah. I think that if I'm not ready to see somebody else ride a little far around Badminton, then I've got to ride him myself. <laughs> but that, that is my deal to myself. The moment I can see somebody else having a good time on my five-star horses yeah. is a day to hold my hands. So I've got three nice horses that I want to ride. I know that I will get to Badminton, I will get to Kentucky and think, what in God's name? am I doing? Wouldn't life be nice if dot, dot, dot. But on that Saturday morning, I will certainly be thinking that I am. So I think those are the reasons. I think another good reason, and I'm getting much more into the coaching now and other sides of the sport. I'm very lucky that I can still be doing both. So actually, when you're coaching you guys and up and coming people and they can relate to you because you're still current. I'm not yet a has-been. As we said, I'm bordering, but I'm not yet. So when I'm teaching my Brazilians or teaching my Japanese guy, very often I'm jumping the same jumps. So yeah. it is, it's very relevant. And I think that gives <clears> me, <throat> gives, well, gives them even more reason to have to jolly well listen to me. <laughs> uh, I think one of the things that stands out the most to me when I first came to, to ride with you is hacking, A, you hacking right along with us in the middle of the freezing cold winter. And I thought we were going to get blown off the horses with the gale force wind and you're just chatting <laughs> like this is normal. But B, I was asking you some questions and I don't remember what they were, but I do remember every time I asked you a question, you pausing giving it some genuine thought. And often then that would catapult this really awesome conversation where you were in this real time thinking about the question and you could tell you were thinking about experiences from the past, what you were doing currently, thoughts about the future. And that just ties in kind of with what you're saying now that you're still jumping those jumps and everything that you're you're that you're currently experiencing so my question is like how how has your philosophy changed or grown or throughout your career with horses and even in life like is there an umbrella that you kind of or a lens that you look at all of these things through kind of a big question yeah that's a massive question <clears throat> I'll, I'll try i'll try to be um to, to be succinct but i think <laughs> of course of course at my career has carried on. Things have changed. I've developed my ideas. We all get new ideas all the time. We're all learning all the time. And the great thing in eventing is you can go on learning and go on doing for 
a length of time that is rewarding. You can really see the difference to how you ride when you're 40 to 30, how you ride to when you're 50 to when you're 40. Facts of life, your stuff does change. And it's so interesting when you look at all the different aspects. And yes, talking to you and being asked all those questions is a very good way of having it brought out of your rather kind of numb skull, as I call it. Most event riders have quite a numb skull. And sometimes all the stuff rather sits in there. So it's great to have it brought out. I've been very lucky. I think the biggest thing in my career is the number of horses I've ridden. And that gives you so much information for variety. No two horses are the same. And I think very often you have one horse, one rider, and it works like poetry. But for me, it was really about continuing that on for the variety of horses. And that's what I've loved in the sport is riding different ones in different places. Different horses are suited to different events. And now in our sport, we've very much got two sports. And we need to look at different horses for each of our sport. You've got the short, you've got the long, you've got the five, and you've got the four. And they are not necessarily the same horse. The odd freak can do it all. But those old badminton winners of years back are never going to win a championship nowadays. Now it's only four-star. The Brahman winners aren't necessarily going to be your fancy pad, sorry, short format World Cup stuff winners. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the time has really given me that experience of, of seeing what works and what doesn't. And I think, I think I've been very lucky. I've had some lovely horses. And I think that has, that has been the main thing for me is always having something to ride. Uh, yeah. Because there are so many good riders out there without a good horse. And as you've had a good horse as well, seeing how hard they are to find. So mm -hmm. I think I've really learned uh, about what is required and the really interest, really interested in that development from the riding more into maybe the training a bit more into the horse dealing and the putting the right horse with the right rider. And that has taught me so much. Well, okay. well let's back up to the beginning. When you said that you've been able to like look at the difference of yourself from 20 to 30, 30 to 40, 40 to 50 and changes in your riding or your, your, your focus. Can you, can you elaborate on any of those things? Do any of those things stand out that you've really looked back and thought this has really gotten better or, or I've had to do this because that is, has changed a little bit? Yes, I think I can, I can rise very quickly and say when, when you're young, you are all balls and, and no, and no ability. And when you're old, You've got lots of technique and no balls. So <laughs> through your career, it is the balance of technique and guts. And mm. I think is working what each rider needs. Some horses need some riders need horses with more talent and some one some riders need horses with more guts. So I think you very much got to decide and look objectively as to what you need as a rider, what will suit me. Yes, I'm amazing at the dressage, but what I want a horse that is going to travel cross country. I'm really good at going cross country, but my goodness, I need some help over my fences. I think mm -hmm. we all need to be very objective <clears throat> about where we're at in our career. And we all will have to see, to see that we do change as a fact of life. And yes, we all want to carry on in our old age eventing because it is an addiction. It is a drug. It's such an amazing thing to still be able to do. And that's why we all carry on doing it well past our sell-by date. And <laughs> I think also, 
as you go on, your ambitions change. I, of course, I still would like to win, but I'm no longer expecting to win. I'm no longer needing to win. I'm no mm. longer, that's not what gets me out of bed in the morning is the victory. What gets me out of bed in the morning is the accomplishment and the drive and the desire to, to do something that is achieving something of, of substance. Mm. Again, I'm talking around in circles, but I think now I get excited about having Bampton in Kentucky to really get me in a gear, gives me a drive. And of course I'm not going to win, but I jolly well want to not look like an idiot and I want to give it a good go and mm. that means training fitness feeding you've got to be on to that and that's what i've had i've had that drive for so many years and this is still giving me that drive but mm. i do understand that there are some amazing sport moves on there are some amazing riders out there who are better than me and that's actually okay i, I thought it wouldn't be okay i thought i'd be thinking uh -uh, no if i can't win i'm out of it but actually that has changed. I found that the reason I'm carrying on is because I'm still feeling that I'm doing it well enough and I'm still feeling pretty driven by the whole exercise. Uh, but yes, you look at all the guys now winning those medals and you look at the world championships this year, all three of those medal winning horses in the individual places could have been Grand Prix show jumpers. Yeah. I mean, yeah. in the old days, I was winning <clears throat> Burley on horses that couldn't physically jump one bigger than 30 if their life depended on it but they could gallop mm -hmm. so you you got a different machine and i think that is that's part of it now and i'm i'm definitely behind on that front because i'm not not quite polished enough over a big jump and you know i'm probably quite happy to have a fence down because the horse has jumped really well whereas 10 years ago i wouldn't have been happy to have a fence down however the horse had jumped mm. Like, what a, but that's such a healthy evolution. Like that seemed like such a healthy way to be because you do run into a lot of people. And I've certainly been there myself that you're hanging on to this one idea of what that success looks like. And when I do this, I'll feel great. And anything that is a different version than that seems like a disappointment or a failure. Like it feels like it's not fulfilling. Whereas that this, I mean, it's just talking to you right now. It feels like as long as you kind of keep going with where you're at, there feels like there's balance and success with however you make it. No, I think in that sense, I probably am lucky. I think the bang on my head has helped me probably see that a bit quicker than otherwise. I think it makes me very grateful for a lot more than I was before. So I still realize now that I'm Jolly lucky to be riding nice horses. Yeah. I, as everyone knows, I had a head injury a few years ago now. The stage of my career that probably things were beginning to change anyway. It was coming towards the end of Chili Morning's career. I very much thought that I was, of course, going to ride in Rio and then retire. And then this all happened. And of course, massive changes because of my head injury as well as my stage of career. So I had the two things flying around at the same time. And it was very interesting because those of you that had, have had injuries will know you are glad to have survived it. You're glad to have recovered from it. And you suddenly become, you suddenly have a very different perspective on, on what on earth you are doing. And 
yes, I've carried on doing this crazy sport, but it's pretty much given me a new take on on what I want from it and what I and it's given me an idea of what what is reality, what is realistic, what I'm able to to do or not do, and to look at it in a sort of different different. But that that's helped me with my now as to what do I want, what am I getting from it, and where am I going with it. Uh, yeah. I've I've really enjoyed having that foresight as well, which before probably I was still living on cloud cuckoo land, just soldiering on because that's what I knew uh, I knew what to do and I it was the easiest thing to do was to, yeah. to do what you thought you were good at. But now yeah the, the goalposts have changed and we'll we'll see what happens in the next couple of years. But I'm still I'm still soldiering on. I'm not still dreaming. I would say that's one thing I'm not. I'm still uh, do it but I, I have a very different take on on the game and of course I want to do well of course I'm hungry but I'm I'm no longer at that stage of my career that I feel I need to prove myself but I'm very aware that I don't like a complete idiot and with everyone's favor not say time you give up because that that does happen to everyone that will happen I'm not naive that is a the the, the time that I'm at now have you have you always been I mean in the time that I've known you I've I've felt like you've always had an incredible uh self-awareness like have you always had that ability to kind of look at things as they are That's a good that's a good question I was always I was always brought up to to address reality and to kind of face face the facts to live up to what you can't do and maximize what you can do so no it was it was very always very obvious to me that everyone's got strengths and weaknesses of course you should focus on your strengths and naturally work on the weaknesses and very often people can focus on the weaknesses and forget they have any strengths yeah so i think i was always brought up to just to remember what you're good at and then work on the and lots of stuff that you're not. I think that's mm. helped me a lot. It's quite an interesting point, but I would say a lot of people wouldn't have ridden the horses I've ridden. They would have seen all the pitfalls before they looked at actually what they can do. Yeah. And I, I, I even now I look at a horse as a, as a whole, and then I would say, well, with a bit of this and a bit of that, this could happen and that won't happen. Living a little bit on a cloud. That it's all going to be marvelous and perfect because it won't. Mm. Uh, I think that now we're all, everyone's under so much pressure, there's so much money, everyone's trying to be Michael Young, they're all trying to be Mr. Perfect. And that isn't possible. That isn't going to happen. And I I think it's worth remembering that lots of people can do very well, lots of people have won very good events who might not be the best riders in the world, but they've dealt with it. And they, I think their whole approach has made them the best on that day. Uh, we are, we are dealing with horses and they are, they're an amazing animal, but they are, what they are, and even though the sport is demanding more and more horses have all got limiting factors and it's our job to, to work, to work with that and to, to get the best out of our horses, even with all the kind of modern day pressure of sponsors, owners, cash prize money the horses are not getting better 
horses are hopefully being trained better, but that that's it. So I, and I think one of your like unique superpowers is that you can, en you enhance uh, the good qualities of the horses, but you don't harp on the bad ones. And it is so hard, like you said, in this, everything needs to be better type of culture to it's with people too, right? Like we're supposed to be like meditating, eating healthy, getting 20 hours of sleep, working, making money, like everything can't be better without a cost. But it's, it's like, where is that curve where it starts going the other way? And when you're, A, has that always come pretty easy for you when you're looking at the horses to figure out what can be addressed and what needs to just kind of not have anything thrown at it because it'll go worse? And B, when you're teaching, how, how much does that influence your discussions with your students, whether it's somebody at five star or somebody kind of coming up and saying, this is, this is what can, we can, we can enhance and this, we're just going to leave. We're going to ignore. Yeah, that, that, that is very much my philosophy is to, 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 to focus on what is good. I think in any sport it's got their special talents. And I think it's so important to, to work on what you've got and to to chip away at what you haven't. And I think that we do lose sight of that now. I think everything is so under the microscope. Everything is analyzed and visualized and assessed and thought about for five weeks. You, you can hardly blink, but I think it's really, and I, I do focus on what I'm teaching is I, I assess the horse, I assess the partnership straight away and say, right, this is what you've got. Uh, this is what you nearly really this is, is well this is your party piece this is what you're good at and now we need to work more on these bits of bobs and i think keeping a balance to your training and to your methods is what what we all need to do i think it's really important not to get obsessed or stuck but to, to really look at the, the big picture and and just and have that belief that you've got something and if you look back over the years, all sorts of people have won all sorts of events. And it is therefore very possible if you manage your own situation to achieve that. Not trying to fit into that postage stamp of being perfect um, and kind of tearing yourself apart because you can't. I think mm -hmm. a lot of people do suffer a lot from that self-destruction and lack of belief. Yeah. When... Now, you obviously have traveled over here quite a bit, teaching and spending time and competing. Your, your work with the Brazilian team, your work with uh, Japanese guys that come with you. How much do you feel like the culture and the location of where you're training and where you're starting has an influence? Obviously, all the Kiwis have come to Europe. How would you... How do you how do you manage those strengths, weaknesses, and what advice you have for people that are in places that are does everybody need to be in Europe? Does there need to be a stint there? How do you how do you see the different cultures influencing top sport? We're we're very fortunate in this country to be to be the center um of, of the eventing world. I think it is the place everyone wants to be. We have got so many events. We've got fantastic venues. We've got lovely horses. We've got so much going for us. But it is not all about being in the UK or being nearby. There are many ways of doing it. But I think what you've got to do, if you are in a 
um, a country that's further away or part of the states that's a million miles or anything is you've got to look outside your box. You've got to not get stuck in your own little zone, becoming very comfortable and feeling very good. You've got to explore. I think you've got to get away at some stage in your career to, I call it, do an apprenticeship with somebody, hopefully at a stage in your career before you get tied down with too many horses and try to make money and run a business, to go and see how other things are done. Not, not to suddenly say, right, I'm going to change everything up. This is what I'm going to do. Very much focus on what, what you do and what works for you, but bring in other people's ideas, bring in other experiences, bring in other situations of, of what people are dealing with into your own little package. I think that's what's important. But of sure, you've got to look outside the box. And obviously outside the box in eventing would mean looking towards England if that's not where you're based. So I think a lot of a lot of Americans do come here for a short time. And more more and more people from the Antipodeans and I suppose Europe are pretty much okay. But even the Irish are next door and they, they certainly come to England because we've got we've got the events. But you've just got to get that exposure. So I think, yeah, get out. Don't go crazy. I think it's great you can stay in your own country if you can. But do do experience something else is is that's important. Yeah, to get some perspective. Yeah, backing up a little bit. When you were eight years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Was this what you wanted to do? Was this? Did you have this? lined up in front of you absolutely not no when i was eight year old when i was eight year, years old i was terrified of riding i did it purely to keep my mother happy and it's because what we did at home was we had a pony and we went riding and we went hunting and we did pony club stuff but it was absolutely not on my agenda i think it crept on my agenda in my teenage years um because uh, i got a bit more lit up about cross country i decided i quite enjoyed hunting got me going and i quite enjoyed the idea of it being competitive cross country being competitive so it was all about the cross country and in order to go eventing you had to do dressage and jumping so so oh god i'm gonna have to learn about those two bits in order to be able to do it but i would say i didn't get serious about eventing until my late teens, I got a very good horse and I had a bit of success and that, that excited me. I hadn't had much success in my early teens, but I quite liked the idea of doing quite well. And I did, to be honest, I really quite stumbled upon it. I think my parents would have had a fit if I said I was going to be an event rider. I think I'd have liked to have got into bloodstock, maybe being a bloodstock agent. I had ideas of being a racehorse trainer, always been very interested in the racing world, but the eventing kind of happened. And then when, to cut a long story short, when I left university and everyone was getting a job, I had a good sponsorship deal already. I had a good horse that I'd been given called Chaka, who'd been placed at, well, with me, he was placed seventh at Badminton. And he suddenly thought, I'm earning more money than my mates are anyway. They're all in London doing a nine to five and they're all bored to death. I'm doing what I want to do, driving around, seeing everyone having a good life, very exciting, nice horses. Why do I want a job? And then it went on from that. I think then I was 22 and 
suddenly I got sponsorship deals and I got nice horses to ride. And why not? I mean, what else? Uh, not that I was making a fortune or was going to make a fortune, but it was a bloody good life that I was going to enjoy while I could. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still going. <laughs> Uh, well i think that attitude because it's up like this whatever's in front of you say yes right like this is yes why why not Um, i think if i had another thing that had been burning a hole in my pocket to do whether it was being an accountant or an estate agent or going to the city then fair enough you could have worked it in with that but that was not i never said that was going to be my life my life was Mm going to be outside Mm. and it's ended up being outside with horses. Yeah. Was there ever a moment, because it kind of went, uh, once you kind of got there and got going, it went pretty pretty quick, pretty successful, you know, quickly. Was there ever a moment where you kind of took a check or expectations started to get in the way or, or hold you back or make you fearful at all about that? Or were you always like, I've got this, like, this is what I'm doing? Was that that young 20s, like, balls before? I was was a young man, and I never had any doubts. This is what (laughs) I was doing, and didn't cross my mind to have a doubt. Yes, you had good years and bad years, but I never thought of not doing it. Mm. It was what I was in. I was getting a good deal sponsorship-wise. I had good owners. Even if I wasn't winning events, I was still in it so mm-hmm. it didn't really yeah. cross my mind no I, maybe i have a very simple mind i wouldn't i wouldn't accuse you of that so then fast forward and you, so your your head injury i mean that was a big deal like that was a really significant for anybody that doesn't know i mean that was a significant fall like you were you were out for for quite some time and a, a big a big scare there and we've we've talked about that from your perspective, coming back to it and it actually influencing you having more enjoyment around a different success now. And but two questions I have are: A, did what were, did you ever, when you were coming back, have any fear around going back to it after having that? Was there any fear that you had to to work through, or no? No, because I was knocked out. I didn't yeah, really didn't know remember. what had happened. Mm-hmm. I didn't. I don't remember cocking up or missing or doing something stupid that can then mm-hmm. scare you because why it all happened and it yeah. could happen again. Whereas in my head, I reiterate, my very simple head is that I don't remember what I did wrong. So yeah. I'm therefore not worrying about doing it again. Right. And also, I, I do believe that you need to, well, I've stayed very positive through it all, but I think um, my my main my main focus to come back from my injury was I was going to ride in Rio. But of, of course, really, I, was I going to ride in Rio? Was I hell? I was hardly able to see where the jump was, let alone ride around the Olympic Games. And I didn't ever really see that. I had no doubt. I was very clear in my passage. I had a bloody good horse, chilly morning. And I was jolly well going to ride in there. Mm. And I therefore had no doubt, even though I was, I'd lost my balance, I'd lost my sight, I'd lost a lot of things that gradually came back. 
I was always going to Rio. And I think everyone around me was going, well, we'll keep him happy for a bit longer. We won't disappoint him <laughs> yet. We, we're, it's giving him a good goal. It's making him get up in the morning. It's making him get on his horses. He's doing all his physio. And if he wasn't going to Rio, he wouldn't be. So everyone encouraged me to do that. Mm. But in my mind, I was absolutely going. And that was that. Mm. And I think that's where I was very lucky that I was concussed. And I think what you what you don't remember is is often is often a very good thing i think when i when i got back and going eventing again i found myself going very very slowly but i think that was more my judgment than my nerve i think that going fast i felt i couldn't see what was happening quick enough mm -hmm. whereas when i was going slower i had more time to kind of assess it all and work it all out and it, therefore i felt very good and very normal but it took me a while to to let go again and actually mm. get in a gear and do it. Mm. So um, interesting. But that was that wasn't that wasn't my nerve. I don't think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you, you think of, yeah, when you think about the safety in the sport and the massive improvements and headway we've made there, but still needing to get better. What is what are your thoughts around the direction the sport is going and the safety level and all of that type of thing? Yeah, that that's a, that's another very very deep one. You're you're making me use my brain a lot. <laughs> you should expect nothing different. I talk to I you like once a year, and this is what happens. I'm in cold flannel. No, I I think that the, the safety is paramount in our sport. It's absolutely important that we make the sport as safe as it can be. Now, everyone's got a different perspective perspective of that everyone's got a different opinion i know some people want knockdown cross-country jumps and some people don't want pins so you've got everything out there and i very much believe that we do do a dangerous sport that's why it's so exciting it's why it's so exhilarating it's why we all do it because we do take a risk we do believe of course that we're none of us are going to kill ourselves but of course some of us do but I think we've all convinced ourselves that we can get killed crossing the road. So what I believe very firmly is we cannot sanitise our sport completely and we should not. I think our sport is about cross country. I do like solid jumps. I do the fact that sometimes you ride a cross country course, you could have a fall. Of course, we want horse and riders to be OK. But the fall is a very important part of our sport. And yes, Pins are designed for to make a fence deformable, but they were initially invented to save lives, not to give penalties. And I know we're wanting more and more ways to penalise everyone and all the pins now. And is the pin had a knock and is it fair and is it front leg or back leg? That makes me sad. All that confusion, I think, does detract from the sport. If you look at Michael Young losing the Olympic potential gold medal on a pin on the cross-country course, that does make me cry. I really cannot believe that a knockdown on the cross-country on a horse that hardly even pecked or flinched in, in the air as it knocked the pin should have therefore lost his gold medal potentially. I think he did knock down one too many jumps to win the gold medal, but he certainly would have won a medal. But he's a very good example because he is our pin-up gold medalist that you can that you can compare all these things to, to how well he can do something and then how can that happen to him. So yes, that pin going in, in Tokyo 
Did that save his life? No. And that's what I that's what I I find very, very sad. He wouldn't even have had a, any kind of a fall and yet mm -hmm. he was written off. So mm -hmm. I would love something to come along. In the old days, you weren't penalized for a pin. And sometimes you saw someone whose life was being saved and you felt, well, at least they should have got a penalty for that because in the old days, they'd have been dead. And you can, yeah, fair enough. They should have maybe got a penalty. But mm. it's so specific. It's so specialized. It's the moment and the fence and the type. They've now generalized it as a pin is a penalty, black and white, front or back leg, black and white. And sometimes in our sport now, we are having very unlucky, unfair pins, which is, mm. I think, is miserable. It's mm -hmm. a miserable aspect to our sport that maybe we have to live with. Maybe we've 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 got to sanitize our sport as much as possible, and that is part of it. But the penalty was not the point. The point right. was to save lives, and it's coming in now with the with flags, and they're wanting people people to be penalized every time you knock a flag down, you get a penalty, um, just to kind of to make the scoreboard look more interesting because the cross country jumps are being more and more than perfect, so less <laughs> and less penalties. So we want to create penalties cross country. So whether it's time or pins or flags, they all hopefully mean you won't win a gold medal and that's what we want. I don't yeah. know. It's a big it's a big one, isn't it? And I know yeah. America sometimes even more perfect world than the UK and they want everything to be totally hundred percent wonderfully safe. But I I feel that I hope eventing will never be totally safe. And I can I could bang on for hours about it. In my opinion, one day our sport will end up in a in a stadium on a surface with show jump poles mm -hmm. and that will be called the cross country and you'll be going round and round in circles jumping angles and arrow heads <clears> and stuff <throat> it will all be frangible and perfect and not at all cross country yeah well but i remember you out. writing yeah you wrote you were you were doing an indoor competition i think and you wrote an article about it and the biggest thing in the beginning that you said is this is not or this is a different sport. This is not eventing. This is yeah. a different thing. And it's fun and it's great and it's a good show, but it's not what we do. And that's it's like, that. it's this, yeah, it's slowly bleeding into that and it's still being called the same thing. Is the fear. Exactly. I think we've got to really think <clears throat> about main maintaining our name. We are called horse trials. We are not mm. called indoor combined training it's it's a very different game but it's a it's a very interesting topic isn't it and i think there are so many different angles and i think i think there is no answer and we've just got to do our best to make it as safe as possible and look as good as possible because it's all about the image nowadays and what outsiders think and hopefully us insiders can still enjoy cross country which is the ultimate test of I think the ultimate test of, of horsemanship. Yeah. And is that, I mean, watching you hit on this earlier, but watching Petroni, it looked like the, again, the metal horses could have done Grand Prix dressage and Grand Prix show jumping. And then there was cross country in the middle, but it was such a different. Well, I mean, like you said, there, there are a few in there that can do both. They can do the five stars and win those and do the championships and win those. But it certainly felt like in the last few championships that the cross country has been the, the, the softer bit and the other two sides have bookended it. But that also in itself, is that 
championship level going to bring up the safety because the skill level is getting to be so high? Or is it a different skill set than what you're going to need at 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 Burley or Badminton? Yes, and I, I think you're right. I think it should be a different skill set. I think it maybe should be a different, as I said, requiring a different horse, a different demand. And yes, you look at Bretoni, it's a bad example because that was that was quite good. But let's say look at the European Championships last year in France. That cross country was just a lovely gallop round. And is that really a championship? Maybe it has to be, and maybe you have a horse for that. And you have a great dressage and a great jumping, and the cross country is kind of the area where you just try to make no errors and just whiz around and get the job done. But for me, eventing is about cross country. We've got to keep cross country as the influence of our sport. It's got to be the most exciting part and the most influential part, not just just filling in filling in the second day. And I think we've got to be very aware of how we do it and what we're aiming for. As you say, when you go to a championship, you do get the amazing countries. You get France and Germany and America and the UK and New Zealand. But then you also do get some lesser countries that have got less exposure and the course has got to cater for them too. And that's very much what they've done in Bretoni is on one side, you had a four-star track, which was quite gentle mainly, apart from the odd question. On the other side, you had a three-star track. You could have got you could have got around Protoni nearly on a three-star horse. You'd have been out there all day, but you could have done it. But I think that's what that's what our course designers are being expected to produce. This this sort of track that will get round other countries because our sport needs to be seen to be having many participants in it. The wider more countries, the better. But at the same time, you've got to have a course that's proper enough to test the best in the world and it's it's a tough old game isn't it i think it it really is and now everyone's all they're worried about and i hear it everywhere now particularly the trainer it's all about pictures all got to look good all got to look happy it's all Mm got to be so sanitized um Mm -hmm. and in eventing it is nitty and gritty and there is blood and there are sperm marks and there is sweat and there is there are some ugly bits, but mm-hmm. in my opinion, that is life. But that is that is eventing. They, they these things do happen, and they're so difficult now with what everyone's expecting. Um, mm-hmm. That you your your kid can't graze its knee at school without coming home with a full page <laughs> yeah. report and an yeah. analysis and an assessment by this psych. There's a head injury man and the leg injury woman and the whole thing. It's it's the way. It's not even talk about bee stings. Exactly, (laughs) you know about that. You are totally there. But coming home with a bruise on your head. Mm -hmm. Oh my God! The end of the world has happened, and she probably should have a week off school now and be in a darkened room for at least three days. And you're just thinking, really? So that that is where we're living, and that is that is, I'm afraid where eventing is a victim look at the poor dressage lot they're trying to eliminate them for when the horse bites his tongue in the dressage we bite our tongue any day of the week but now yeah. it's it's a big e and don't get me on that i get i get properly on my high horse <laughs> well and 
I think some of the things that get missed because again, it before our sport wasn't televised, it wasn't there like now it, and it was a bit concerning or it wasn't concerning before we couldn't get sponsors before because we were never going to be on NBC or ABC unless it was the Olympics or a big championships. But now people don't even have TV. People just live stream stuff. So it's like all of a sudden everything, everything's out there other than like it, what just flashed in my mind when you were talking about that is like the locker room, like what what we're doing with the horses before, what we're doing with them after the preparation. Like, it's not like they're in bubble wrap, not doing anything. And then they show up on the big stage and they can't handle a cut or they can't handle a bump. They've been prepped for years for that big game. Just like if you had a football player that's in the gym eight hours a day so that when they go out, they can get a bit tussled about and they're going to be just fine. And then they're going to go back and they're going to have the physio and this and whatever. And they're going to get back ready for game day and go out and do it again. And for what we do, like your program is incredible as far as how much those horses are hacking. I was talking to Tick about it yesterday, about how much they they would go hack around the village and then go out on the jolly and get in all sorts of footing. And then they're on the walker, they're on the gallop, and they're doing hours of work that's not just technique work. They're just getting ready for the day. And that if something happens on the day, they're pretty well prepared for it. They're tough. They can handle it. So if we're treating every day soft and the competition soft, like it, everything's just getting softer, like the, the bee sting, the, the nick on the knee, any of that stuff becomes like yeah. a huge deal. So it's, it's how to get that information out that these are athletes and they're prepared well, and they're jockeys. It's, yeah. It's a good point. I think yeah. athletes, being a, being a horse athlete is, it's not all comfortable. Training mm-hmm. is not all comfortable. If you talk to any tennis player, rugby player, athletic sprinter, long distance runner, they live their life in pain to a level. <laughs> they yeah. are some guys I talk to, they can take up to 30 minutes to get out of bed in the morning because they're so mm. stiff and sore. And that's what they're dealing with. And they're managing it. They're producing, they're playing on a playing on a world-class stage, mm. performing. And performing is not easy. If you watch actors and the guys, they're not just on the stage having a nice time. They've remembered their lines. They've learned their words. They've known where to walk. They've done all the training. They're physically fit. Life is not as sanitized and lovely and comfortable and a bed of roses as everyone out there likes to think it is in, in, their, in their happy little bubbles. So for the horse, as you say, his everyday life is a life of work. He's used to working. He's used to being tired. He's used to being stiff. He's very well looked after on the other side. He's beautifully looked, fed, paid, watered, rugged, groomed. He's got a very good life. And being, dare I say, a little bit uncomfortable sometimes is absolutely normal. Mm-hmm. And as it is for any human athlete, if you want to be a performer, you have to be a little bit uncomfortable, surely. Mm-hmm. And yes, that doesn't necessarily mean whip marks and spur marks and blood <laughs> and gash and everything yeah. else. But a rub and a bruise and a bump and a bang and a stiff back and stuff is surely part of life or part of life of part of life where you want to actually do something, not just mm-hmm. sit on a beach and waste it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It just feels like in some of these situations, I've said it before, we need like a just a common sense committee that comes in and says, you're fine. You're not fine. <laughs> yeah. no, this is okay. This is not okay. Cause I think people lose perspective of what is, I mean, just in the world that we're in today with everything 
in very short snippets and skimming and scanning and Instagram and Snapchat and all these things where you're just seeing the person on the beach or this one picture. And then you're just creating a story around that when it's not actually the truth. Yes, um, it's one moment. But it's, it's a very, very <clears throat> tough time now, isn't it? I think everything mm. is so visual. And so everyone now has an opinion. Um, mm. And everyone wants to express it. And mm. therefore, eventing is just one of those things that ends up being a little bit targeted if if there's ever a picture that's not mm-hmm. absolutely perfect. Well, it's easy access to express it, whereas before, even if you had a, an opinion, by the time somebody was listening to you or wrote it down, you'd probably settled down. Yeah. Like there was just a bit of a gap. Um, yeah, now it's so immediate. Yeah. Mm. I was, yeah, I was talking to oh i i uh, did a podcast i don't think it's out yet with ian stark and he would he would be on the committee with you of the common sense committee <laughs> and, uh, and it was Gosh. it was really interesting when he was talking about it he's like yeah but in our day we something would happen and we'd whine about it and moan or bitch about it but then we got on and we did it like that's what we do and today the things that people can say and do and react and demand and he's like it's it's and the quickness about it without letting things kind of settle down or just carrying on is is incredible. He said it's kind of shocking at times, which was a, yeah, yeah made, me, made me think about it. All right. What is the biggest lesson a horse has taught you about yourself? Well, I think what I, what I decided was that it, it taught me that I do have patience. I think when you're growing up, certainly as a young boy, everything was annoying too slow not enough you want more immediate you want the thing to happen now it was like grab it and i think the fact now that i have learned about patience has been a real a real blessing because i think that there is always there is always another day filters through a lot of my trains of thought as it were and i think that particularly with animals and obviously your teams at home, your your pupils and your students and everyone on the yard. Patience really does, it really does pay off. Yeah, 100%. Do you have a favorite training or competition mantra that you reference regularly? Yeah, my latest thing with my training hat on is I bang on about all sorts of things in more detail, but I... I I'm a big believer in really keeping things simple, um, really basic. So when I'm working, I say a million times, and you guys will be hearing it again when I'm back in February, March, doing stuff over there, always saying, get on and just think forward and slow. So fast and slow, bend and straight. And if you can do fast and slow and bend them straight wherever you want in whatever pace you want you've covered a hell of a lot of ground and it's amazing how simple things are after that when you're watching people riding they complicate everything about niggle here and they twist his nose there and he didn't do that with his ear there and oh, i'm sure i lost the shoulder there you just keep it very very simple and just think fast and slow bend and straight during your particularly during your warm-up for whatever you're doing, you will have covered so much ground. You'll then be wondering, well, what do I need to do next before I go down the centre line anyway? 
mm. or go in the ring. So just a very good mantra I've I've adapted. And my other big bang on is I say, if you're training the horse and things start to go a little bit wayward or not how you want, slow, low, go. Slow the horse down because naturally a horse always wants to run away from everything. Slow him down, put his head down low so you get submission. And then you reward him by saying, now go forward at the end of it. Mm. Always have that pattern. And having a pattern, horses love repetition and patterns. And they associate slowing down with the head down. When the head's down and they're going slow, they associate then to move <coughs> forward. And they learn that sort of kind of, they're relieved. You can nearly feel them taking a deep breath when you start it. They go, mm. oh, okay, I know. Yeah, I got it. I forgot. Sorry. Mm. And I learned that particularly through my spooky buggers that I've had in my career that spook and disappear off in the distance at a million miles an hour. You want to wring their neck. You want to bash them on the head. You want to <laughs> get off and run away and sit in the corner. You want to never ride again. But it just does not work getting crossed it just no. does not work you've got to think systems so if they spook and run off you slow them right down they're not allowed to run off they've got to go where you want you can understand they're frightened put your head down be quiet good boy on you go and mm -hmm. he learns that if he does that and he does that he gets the reward the forwardness bit of a pat or a scratch and on you go. And he might do mm. it again in five seconds time and you repeat it. But it, mm -hmm. I promise you then you will repeat it less and less and less. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. That's no, that's so good. It's so good. And, <laughs> no, it's perfect. And when with your first bit, when you're talking about keeping everything simple, was that something that when more when you started to teach and when you started to kind of ask somebody about their horse or their day that you went, whoa way too much we need to trim yeah, that down or i've i've always been quite i've i've always been quite just get the basics all there first and i might spend hours doing long and low because he's not mm -hmm. ready in my opinion to pick his head up somebody else will be looking like Vallegro in five minutes because they want to show off and look amazing that is not me so i've always been quite slow but i think particularly with my teaching hat on i see people in the first five minutes wanting to impress me mm. and i see all these things going wrong because i was isn't warm he's fresh he's naughty he's everywhere and you see these battles unfolding whereby the horse is getting the upper edge the rider is getting furious and terrified and you've just you mm. just got to that's a great way of stopping it. it takes the steam out of everything it makes everyone take a deep breath and it's okay yeah. Yeah. I remember it was probably the second or third day I was working for you and I was on a horse and came out to the school with you. And I think I've started trotting in the first five minutes and you just looked at me and said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm trotting. And you just said, walk. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> and it's like, you're meant to be walking. <laughs> and, walk. Oh, okay. Bit harsh, bit harsh. <laughs> well, I was probably a little, you know, well, I was, I was out there going, I'm going to do all of this. And you said, no, you're not. But it was, it was good too, because Carl Hester just came here and did a master class yep. at our equestrian. And it was, it was so wonderful wow. to watch because yeah, it was really great, but it was exactly, it was exactly so much of the core things were brought right back to you and your program. I mean, I, when we left, I said, that's exactly 
William. I mean, the horses, you go, they walk for 15 or 45. They're stretching and they don't do anything else until they can walk, trot, canter, counter, canter, bend both directions and all of those gates. They just don't do anything else until they can do that. And then they do 20 minutes, maybe of work in the middle, and then they're out for hacker on the walker. And like yeah. we had, when I was there, you had three horses heading to the Olympics because you couldn't decide which one to take. But it was just so good to hear that and to see it again and again. I don't think you can hear that enough. I think we all get <clears throat> carried away. So I think yeah. Carl's got a very good point. Just a good, he's a working in that system, isn't it? Having that belief mm -hmm. in your system and sticking to it and taking your time and giving the horse chance to, to be ready. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Is there a piece of advice someone gave you along the way that you still reference today? Obviously, I've, I've received a lot of advice. Do I still reference it today? I can remember my mother saying to me once um, when I was quite young and it was all very exciting. And I can remember getting so nervous and worked up and all kind of ready to go. And then, of course, it all goes wrong and I knock all the show jumps down. It's all a big disaster. And I go, oh, God, I just was so this. I couldn't do that. And she said, well, how do you expect a horse to control his nerves if you can't even control your own? And it's been a very good <laughs> point to take forward is that you, if you, how do you expect something to work if you are not in control of the situation? Yeah. So I think that's been quite a general comment, but it's certainly with nerves. We all get nervous. Very important also to realize that everyone's nervous. When you're in that start box and that warm up ring and you're feeling sick and you're wishing you're somewhere else thinking, oh my God, it's very good to just think, you know what? We're all feeling like this, not just me. We're all thinking, what in God's name are we doing? <laughs> then you can get up and deal with it on a level field because mm. it's who deals with it best on that day. So anyway, yeah, take control of your nerves rather than being a victim of them. Yeah. Well, that was funny in the beginning of our conversation when you said, oh, I'm sure I'll be at badminton or Kentucky and going, what am I doing? But all I was just thinking is, hasn't that always been the dialogue? That won't be new, right? <laughs> like <laughs> from when you were 20 till till now, <laughs> you know, that, that start box conversation doesn't change. It probably gets louder. I love it. What do you do when you are seeking inspiration? I go and feed my chickens. Always in a in a in a stressful kind of build up to a big three day, and there's ten horses to ride, and no one can know where I am. They can often find me in a chicken run, rebedding a house, or <laughs> sitting a broody on another clutch of eggs or something. But that's always a, it's a standing joke. But that that's that, but I think just to take yourself take yourself just just to really take yourself back and have a look at have a look at it all just remove yourself from the situation rather than quite often we feel a, a victim of something mm. you've got to suddenly take yourself out to look in mm. and have a, and then you see it in a very different way if you're an outsider suddenly you can suddenly put everything in perspective so i think that that's quite a good it's an example of how to do it, but I would say whether it's to ride a horse that doesn't matter or whether it's to do something without the pressure or whether it's to think about what else would you do anyway. I think mm. you've got to also remember um, the reality of your options. 
<laughs> we're very good at getting in our own little bubbles, but it's good, always good to, to sometimes take yourself out of your, your little zone and just look in at yourself. Yeah. Well, that's really interesting. That's so funny about the chickens, but it's even just identifying what that thing is. You know, what, what, so in the moment, because often when you're in that moment where you need to go feed the chickens, <laughs> you don't even know you're in that moment because you're too deep in it. But if you can start to recognize when you're in that moment and you're like, I need to go over here and do this for a hot second so I can see this not as myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't a... think I realize personally, I don't <laughs> necessarily realize I'm in that moment. Until you're um, just in the chicken coop. <laughs> and until I'm suddenly doing that other thing anyway. Yeah. I haven't planned it. I haven't thought about it. I haven't, I just find myself with, with taking a step back. Mm. And I, I think that's always been quite good for that, that pressure buildup where you ask questions and stuff is I, I tend not to do it because I find myself having a little kind of a rejig without knowing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that's, that's sounding very deep. That's not... <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Uh, I like the word rejig too. I don't know what that is, but I picture like a little dancing William. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Our last question, because I know you have to go. Have you had an experience or adversity separate from horses in your life you feel has directly influenced you as a horseman? Well, I was thinking that not much has happened to my in my life apart from horses. So obviously, my head injury, I would say, has been the biggest, biggest influence in my life. And that was to do with a horse. And it, to be honest, it probably came at a bloody good time when I was, how old was I, 47? Mm -hmm. And at that stage, you know, when you're, you're entering, you're going from being, you call yourself in the 40s, you're certainly going into middle age now. And it's quite a big changing time where more pressure, more money, whether it's family or business or you're torn in many directions. It was very good. That kind of time out gave me a very good re-centralizer. Hmm. I think that was the longest time with my injury that I've been out of the sport. I didn't, I didn't sit on a horse from well, October or till Christmas. Not very long, but it was a long time to think about not much because <laughs> my brain wasn't working very well anyway. <laughs> They, you, you kind of you could suddenly see everything. So it was a very good time for me as to what was going to happen next and what did I want and where was I going. And you suddenly, you think, actually, I am getting old, but I've also got a lot longer to go, I hope. Mm -hmm. So something's got to be good. I don't can't just carry on doing what I'm doing now. So to really think of how would it be and what would it be and what do I want? And again, those are things that I'd never had to think of in my life because it, it just, it was never about what do I want? What it was just, what was I doing? It was, it mm. was always kind of in a way predetermined mm -hmm. because I've never gone off and jumped off the kind of jumped off the treadmill. I've always been kind of here mm. to there to the other to knowing what was happening. So it was suddenly like, oh, okay, this is. <laughs> This is quite different, but that was yeah. that was definitely a bit bit of a horsey example. But I thought it was a it was a good one. But it took that time out and that incident mm -hmm. to make me really reflect. And yeah. I think I've always been quite good at looking in at myself, but 
like everyone, probably not good enough. And suddenly, actually, really look at it as it is. Look, face the facts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that 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 has been the upside of my injury has been, I would say, dealing with my next stage and mm-hmm. being relaxed with myself. I am a bit different. Mm-hmm. I am. I have. Things have changed in, in my makeup, which is quite weird to kind of, I've lived with myself 47 years and suddenly I'm living with someone that's a bit different. It's a bit weird. But that's also quite enlightening. It's quite, it's quite refreshing mm-hmm. to think, God, I would never have done that before. Or I would always have done that. Why am I now doing this? And you look at, yeah, you look at all your systems and have a bit of a good old re, re, recheck, mm-hmm. re, re, readjust. And no, think things have been been going, been going great. But I've obviously the last few years I've been changing a little bit every year, and getting a bit more with it and awake, and remembering a bit more each year. It's been quite handy. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's so. I mean, I guess it's one of those like hard pauses and pivots, right? Where you ask those big questions, like, like at that point you're probably really asking yourself like who am I like and investigating it from like you said from the chicken coop like who is this person that I was <laughs> and, and looking at it out, outside and then what am I doing on the big sense of things like the on the life sense of things which are probably yeah. pretty healthy questions I think I think that just is not it's a side going on from that but I think we all need to look at ourselves as an outsider sometimes we look at ourselves as ourselves Mm. And I think it's really very healthy to look at, am I good enough? Am I mm. able to do this? Am I going to do that? Am I going to be able to afford to do that? Am I going to be, what is realistic? And I think we lose sight of that on our treadmills. We're all mm. on that kind of path of, of certainty and confidence. But actually, mm-hmm. you need to just admit some things. And you don't need somebody else to tell you. You could just stand back and think, right, who am I? What am I? Mm-hmm. Where am I going? And I think inventing is great like that. It's done me so many favors in that sense because I, through training horses, I'm often looking at at myself from mm-hmm. from a judge's perspective for starters. I'm always yeah. I'm always ass- realizing that I am being judged. I am being assessed. I have got to perform. I've got to I've got to make my make my make my target. Yeah. And sometimes we're in that little I always say blink the blinkers are on firmly Mm. attached and we're all fine sometimes get the bloody blinkers off yeah well and and it it seems to well there i mean to stay on the in the deep end but there's a certain amount of like connection or bravery that it takes to do that because when you actually ask those questions and you come back with something that before you may have deemed insufficient or not good enough that's probably where a lot of a lot of people, myself included, with certain things would would almost. I'm like, no, I'm fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> because you know, yeah. what if it's yeah, not? Yeah. And <laughs> and then having that underlying feeling that even if it's not fine, it's fine. Like it's going to be okay. Like there's people like either internally you can insource that, or the people around you are going to help you navigate something that's not fine. Yeah. And so and you can get it better, and uh, and and that there's a certain probably freedom to that, which is now kind of where you are with your career and your life and everything is that you're kind of like this is all fine. Even I I want to win, but if I don't, it's okay. Like it's I'm enjoying this part. Like I don't know. 
Yeah, that's my no, deep, just, my deep end to it. <laughs> no, yeah, but I think that that comes back to the sport that we're in, where we all sometimes get trapped in this bubble, and we're all living in a bit of an illusion as to where we're actually going and what we're able to do. And therefore, we don't look for help. We don't look for mm. where to go because we think we're okay. But actually, if we look for help, we'd be an awful lot better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much oh, for this. Darling, I that, so that, appreciate it. really good. I thought it's so <laughs> stuff, by the way. I know. Well, now you have to soul search yourself to go pick up your kids and drop them where they need to be dropped off and all that real life stuff. I think that that's my chicken coop right now at times as I'm like, okay, <laughs> that yeah. feels so serious, but you know, we're potty training over here. So what is really that big of a deal, but I so appreciate this. And just one quick question. What are, what are you excited about? What's What's next? Excited. Obviously, my training hat on. I'm very excited about getting a bit more involved with the Brazilians. And that was our first year this year. So we'll have to see whether they, they want to carry on with me or not for the for the build up to Paris. But that could be very exciting. Yeah. I've got Kazoo Tomoto <clears throat> based here, but he's just one Japanese guy. and I'm, I'm going to carry on with him. And he's very good indeed. And I enjoy working with him a lot. And I'd like to... I'd like to kind of just do a little bit longer on my three good horses and see what happens for a couple of years. And then, then who knows? But I'm, again, I'm still, I've got a seven-year-old that's going to hopefully go to Lyon Dorje. I've got, I've got all sorts of other crazy ideas, but no, it's more, more about enjoying the big ones at that level while I can. Yeah. And then doing more training and hopefully getting around the world more. Yeah. Amazing. Is Paris on your, hopefully? Paris, Paris mm. is not on my radar. No, no, no. I'll be, I'll be on my feet. Mm. You'll I'm be. Quite looking forward to, I'm quite looking forward to that. Yeah, that'll be a different perspective. Yeah, I obviously love to be in Paris, but no, that's not realistic. So I think unless unless ma major overturns happen, I think that I'll be hopefully I'll float around Babington a few more times and <laughs> and then disappear off. <clears throat> <laughs> ah, I love it. Okay. Well, thank you so much. And we, yeah, I look forward to seeing you over here in the States. Yeah. Hopefully might see you, might see you at the end of February, March. I don't know where, um, where I'm going to be yet, but I'm going to be over for a couple of weeks. So I'm going to be quite busy. I might even ride at the Aiken Showcase. Oh, perfect. Perfect. There's talk, well, there's talk about that, but there's, there's no, there's no, no horse at this stage. Oh, but, there will be. But I have been asked if I would be interested if there was a horse. <clears throat> So, yes um, there's always a horse after well, that'll get out there i <laughs> know this will but, this will come live and you'll get offered a lot of horses don't worry <laughs> horses. Okay. Bring on your horses. Yes, I, need your horses. I need your horse i need your horse <laughs> wonderful well good luck okay, with everything you, and have a wonderful holidays and we'll speak soon okay yeah loads of happy christmases to you all I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. Before you go, I just want to let you know more about Ride IQ. 
At its core, Ride IQ gives everyone access to instruction from the best equestrian coaches in the world. It might sound impossible, but with Ride IQ, you get access to the private mobile app that has hundreds of on-demand, listen-while-you-ride audio lessons taught by top riders and coaches in eventing, hunter jumpers, and dressage. Here's how it works. You look through the app and choose a lesson based on your horse or a skill you're working on. There are lessons for green off-the-track thoroughbreds and nervous horses horses and horses that are behind the leg, as well as lessons that teach every stage of skills like shoulder in or trot lengthenings. Then you tack up and press play and you have a top coach like Doug Payne or Leslie Law or Gina Smith in your ear guiding you every step of the way. If you enjoyed today's episode, it is always appreciated if you can take a moment to share the podcast with your friends and family and leave a review on your podcast app. The best way to support the podcast is to become a Ride IQ member at ride-iq.com. And when you do, we hope you're excited to see that InStride is just one of multiple podcast shows on the app, including hack chats, conversations with coaches, and more. And lastly, I wanted to let you know that our friends over at Major League Eventing also have a podcast. And if you enjoyed this show, I think you would also really enjoy their show. Just search for the Major League Eventing podcast in your podcast app and give it a listen. 